Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Play the radio. Make sure that... Not now, President Biden. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, September 30th. It's just moments away. But before we do this, we need to thank our sponsors. Sponsors like SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana. The Chicago Federation of Labor, our sponsors... The Chicago Reader, obviously, chicagoreader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, eat, and all other things you do with marijuana these days, and so much more, chicagoreader.com. Go check it out. And, of course, today's show brought to you by the Chicago Teachers Union. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts, yes, Doogie, on the live stream chat. It starts right now. It is Thursday, September 30th, and live from my apartment and his Airbnb, so luxurious, in sunny California, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, we welcome Shaniri Farr and the Illinois political know-it-alls Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky return. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Yeah, hello everybody, Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Who's Gonna Pay Thursday, and here's why. First of all, yes indeed, I'm still in California, still in my Airbnb, still overlooking, I don't know, an alley. <laughs> Do you, no matter where I go, I'm overlooking an alley. Uh, what can I tell you? I love alleys, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm still, as far as I know, uh, not a grandfather. My daughter's in the hospital. So just, you know, that's on my mind too, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I cannot lie about that. Uh, that baby is taking uh, her sweet time about it. She's enjoying life where she's at right now. D. They got HBO there. Okay. Last night she was watching impeachment. She goes, damn, Clinton's a dog. How about that? Uh, <laughs> my, my little baby granddaughter's already into politics thinks Clinton's a dog. I couldn't even watch impeachment because, uh, poor me, poor me. Uh, uh, the, we don't have that cable network uh, in this uh, Airbnb, so I'm going to hold off on uh, any impeachment updates. Uh, I grabbed my first guest all ready to go, so I'm going to get to that. But first, I just got to say one thing. I saw this little uh, headline in uh, today. It was uh, uh, Crane Chicago Business. I just got a big laugh out of this one. Hold on, everybody. Let me call it up right now. Hold on. Here we go. I don't well, take your time. have uh, cranes with me. But what I did, D, you'd be very proud of me. I took a picture. Yeah. How about that, huh? That no. millennial was to me. Way to go. I took... <laughs> now, <laughs> now, if you can Crane's... get the camera on your uh, computer towards your face a little bit there. You got the camera on your computer. We can't see your face. There we go. Oh, there we go. Oh, yeah. well, I keep having a... The problem is I want to speak into the microphone. Oh, my goodness. Podcasting's hard, guys. Don't don't <laughs> let anyone fool you. 
Okay, if you could see this table that my laptop is resting on, you would be laughing your <laughs> booty off because this table is about as big as a postage stamp. Hey, man, Edward, Edward R. Murrow did it under uh, more difficult situations in London during the bombing. All right, here we go. Uh, and here's this one's pretty funny. Uh, a new bear stadium. Who'd pay for it? That's the headline. And Cranes, Cranes. Who do you think's going to pay for it? The bears aren't going to pay for it. That's who. That's what. We'll start with that. It's the taxpayers, Arlington Heights. Those are the suckers are going to pay for it. Let me just say this about that before I bring my first guest on. As a Chicago resident, Arlington Heights, I'm going to break this to you right now. I really don't care that you're about to dig into your pockets and pay all that money for that mediocre, horrific. No, not even mediocre, just horrifically bad football team. You're going to take money away from your public schools and give it to the Chicago Bears. Arlington Heights. I don't care. You know, I, I got enough trouble here in the city of Chicago when the people who run the city of Chicago take money from the public schools uh, and give it to, you know, in handouts to developers who don't need it. So I, I got enough struggles here in the city of Chicago. I really can't take up your fight. I'm just going to tell you, though, that's funny. When I read that article, that headline of Cranes. And of course, I couldn't read the articles because Cranes has got that wall in there. <laughs> I don't blame them. Everybody's got to hustle to make uh, ends meet these days. In fact, that's going to be our topic of our first conversation today. Everyone's hustling to make it meet. So Cranes won't let me read the article, but they let me see the headline. So the headline one more time, uh, it says, who's going to pay for that stadium? I'm going to tell you right now, Cranes, I'll tell you who's going to pay for that stadium. The suckers in Arlington Heights. That's going to, that's who's going to pay for that stadium. And you know what they're going to get for that stadium? A really bad football team that has, absolutely no idea how to put a winning team on the field. First, it took forever for them to get a good quarterback. Now they got a good quarterback and they didn't realize, Oh my God, you need people to block for the quarterback. Poor quote, just feels running for his life. So that's what you get in Arlington Heights, a really bad football team. Hey man, I told you not to do it, but you're about to do it anyway. Anyway, Without further ado, I'm going to bring on my first guest. Uh, meanwhile, my next two guests, Adi, you'll love this, already text me. Where's the yeah, link? I'm on the, I'm on the group thing. I'm going to respond now. I love my guests, every single one of them. All right, my first guest is the um, pride and joy of Baltimore, Maryland, uh, Shaniri Farr, and she's the marketing guru of the Chicago Reader. And we have some reader news we have to give, give out, folks, because just as I was saying with Cranes, everybody's struggling these days. Uh, and so we're struggling, too. We're making ends meet, paying the bills, uh, paying the enormous salaries that uh, they, the reader pays people like me and Dennis. So without further ado, Shaniri Farr. Welcome to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> so happy to be here. A little nervous, but definitely more excited. Um, I, I don't know how much you've been talking about it, but tomorrow is the reader's 50th anniversary. We have been going strong since October 1st, 1971, keeping it free and freaky. Your first alt-weekly paper, um, well, known to be the very first alt-weekly paper. Um, we were weekly, but we have turned to bi-weekly, you know, because when you fall on hard times in independent media, you have to adjust, and that's what we did. Um, the Reader is now a nonprofit, so we need our supporters. We get money from you in order to survive. <laughs> um, last year, during like the past 18 months, our readers and our supporters really pulled through with getting us here to where we are, to 50. Um, we, you know, 
I'm not many local independent newsrooms had fell honestly and um we got here because of you so since we're turning 50 we have a crap ton of celebrating to do and we want you involved um we are kicking off tomorrow a 50 days of reader giving give a prize giveaway to our community so this is our way of giving back to you and us saying thank you to you 50 days of reader giving. Um, like I said, you get 50 days, 50 incredible prizes from some of the best and most popular establishments in Chicago from prize mm-hmm. packages that include concert tickets, mm-hmm. to Miranda sings and Ben Platt theater tickets at the auditorium theater and Goodman theater Steppenwolf sold out shows, gift certificates, gift certificates to restaurants, retailers, and so much more. So it's pretty easy to enter. Um, we encourage you to become a member because all members of the Chicago Reader, our Chicago Reader Reader Revolution membership program are going to be automatically entered to win prizes for the entire duration of the campaign. And that's 50 days starting October 1st until November 19th. We are giving away prizes. Um, so, yeah, like I said, the Reader Revolution membership program is the backbone of the reader. It's And it's our plan to keep the reader going strong for another 50 years. Now, there is another alternative way of signing up, but you do get exclusive benefits um, just for being a reader member. And you can sign up by going to chicago.com slash donate. Or if you want to explore more of the reader celebrations, we have house parties that's going on open to the public to enjoy. We have news reader merchandise specifically for our 50th anniversary. We have um, Newberry Library exhibit that's opening October 6th. We have a, a ton of things. And if you want to explore Reader 50, I encourage everyone to go to chicagoreader.com slash 50 and celebrate with us. All right. Very good. Yes. Uh, and I'll just uh, repeat this message. Uh, this is sort of our WBEZ pledge drive thing. Uh, listen, it, the old days are gone, ladies and gentlemen, where the reader would just crank it out and uh bring in the advertising dollars, things have changed. And so now we're, we're uh, supported by our readers and our listeners. Uh, we're in the same boat as I see. Uh, we'll be talking about this later on today. The Sun-Times is in this boat right now. It looks like they're going to cut a deal with WBEZ and become a not-for-profit. So this is the way of the world. If you want uh, independent news, independent voices, definitely left of center voices like this one right here speaking in the microphone. Yeah. Uh, if you want <laughs> a lefty voice, an alternative a voice uh you got to help us out so um that's just the reality that's where we're at and it's been that way now for about two or three years we're doing pretty well touch wood we're still paying the bills we're surviving uh putting out great product and uh, great uh, articles and uh the world's greatest podcast if i'm gonna say so myself uh, mm-hmm. but we need help so uh, uh shinuri uh, one more time tell folks where they can go uh, to make donations, to get in, to, to get involved, just to give people, get things and give things. Go ahead. Get things and give things at chicagoreader.com slash 50. And if you're specifically interested in joining the giveaway and then also donating to our nonprofit newsroom, go to chicagoreader.com slash donate. 
All right. Very good. Before I let her go, I have to say this. Uh, I told her I was going to do this. I was going to out her. And uh, <laughs> it was a few days ago. It was like the last week uh, we were chatting. It was about, like a week today. Was it a week? Okay. Wow. A week today. You got it down. I'm okay. It was, you know, everything's a blur to me right now. Uh, but it was a week today. We were chatting on the phone. Uh, she called me up just to say, I called Shaniri to say, yes, come on the show and talk about the reader. And next thing you know, a half hour passed and we were talking about Nick. Somehow we got into the subject of Nicki Minaj. Nicki <laughs> was on my mind at the time. And uh, I must confess, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I, I'm not a big uh, listener of hip hop music, rap music, with what have you. So I know the name Nicki Minaj, but I'm not really aware of any of her tunes. But I was very much aware. This is where the politics. I'm very much aware of the tweet that she sent out, and we talked about it on the show at great length, uh, where she talked about her cousin's friend. Uh, I think it was in uh, Bahamas who. Um, had taken uh got the vaccine and had swollen testicles so she would say hey i'm not getting that vaccine and i'm really cautious about it we don't know more about it i need to do more research all this stuff and and then she talked about her cousin and everybody made fun of her of course because uh first of all there is no proof anywhere in the whole universe that anybody ever got swollen testicles from the, the vaccine uh and so most people were just assuming that the cousin's friend if he really existed just had some kind of STD or something like that, blamed it on the vaccine. Uh, and could just imagine that conversation, Shaniri. Uh, and um, so uh, then Nicki Minaj came back strong and uh, counterpunched. She's got a powerful uh, voice and uh, she has an enormous reach. I think she has 22 million followers on her tweet, Twitter account. So very powerful, uh, potentially uh, strong voice for all kinds of issues. One could be getting encouraging people to get the vaccine. And I was struggling. Like, why would Nicki Minaj uh, have doubts and concerns about the vaccine? And Shaniri gave me what I called the Nicki Minaj theory. Uh, and uh, so I will now paraphrase that uh, th- uh, uh, theory. And that is she realizes that her many of her uh, fans and listeners uh, are dubious about the vaccine. And so she doesn't want to look as though she's not in line with them. And so she sent that message out just to be in line with her listeners. And when uh, Shaniri said that theory to me, in other words, she wasn't speaking from her heart of hearts. She was making like a marketing ploy. And when Shaniri told me that, like the, I remember like the light went on. And I'm like, well, I am so naive. I thought that like hip hop artists just spoke. That was just like, this is from my heart. I'm opening my heart up and letting it out. No, it's all about marketing. It's like, I can't be too far removed from where my listeners are. So I'm going to go drift into listener country and throw something that they want to hear about my cousin's friend's swollen testicles and the vaccine. And... So uh, do you still stand by that theory, Shaniri? Honestly, I I would say yes, just because Nicki Minaj herself, like I understand, you know, rap is supposed to be uh, unapologetic. But I also think Nicki Minaj is a character. Like, I definitely think she she has a very unique 
outlook and perspective. And if you like follow her just on social media, um, you know, you watch her IG stories, she has a lot going on. And I could see the potential of her just coming up with something wild, like, you know, maybe they, maybe her cousin did have swollen cousin's friend did have swollen testicles in Trinidad and it could have just turned into, well, maybe it was the vaccine, you know, there, no, no proof. No, who is this cousin? Where's the medical record? We need to see proof of this. Otherwise I think that this just gives more people the idea of like, well, I don't need to get the vaccine just because I don't want swollen testicles but i think this also goes into like i don't know like we talked about it a little bit with lebron james revealing that he was vaccinated um i think the revealing part made me feel like he was keeping a secret of some sort just because like a lot of people of the black and brown community are so resistant to the vaccine. It's kind of like, like he was turning his back on us, like talk, you know, just showcasing that he was being safe. I think that the vaccine is just the safest way to get, get this like out of our society, you know, like we need to get rid of this. And if you aren't vaccinated, like it just makes things a lot harder for everyone around you. Yeah. No, LeBron James is a whole uh, a different story. I, well, there's some parallels. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but there are some parallels because I believe that with LeBron James, he gave a press statement. Uh, it was at the uh, Lakers uh, opening day. I guess that would have been Monday uh, where he said, yes, I, I, I was uh, skeptical at first about getting the vaccination, but I decided after doing research uh, that I would get it. And um, so I got it, but I uh, I don't stand in judgment of anybody who hasn't got it because there's several NBA players who've openly stated that they've not received it. In fact, one, Andrew Wiggins, is, is talking about perhaps sitting out the season. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, the uh, forward for the uh, Golden State Warriors, uh, rather than get it. And um, so... Uh, and so in his case, I, I really do believe that uh, that's almost like a, that it's it's its own form of a political move. Uh, Shanir, he doesn't want to isolate the players who haven't received it. And he doesn't want to do something that I do all the time. And I just wrote about this for the reader. I talk about this on the show all the time. He doesn't want to shame people. Yeah, our, uh, we're, we're going through this heavy don't shame people thing in our country right now. Uh, I see it on many fronts. I've seen it for a while. Uh, I remember millennials telling me, Ben, don't shame me into voting. I remember that one, um, uh, that debate from about five years ago. Don't shame me into voting for this candidate or that candidate. Uh, I'll do what I want to do. And I guess and then shaming itself is not a very um, successful way of convincing people to do X, Y, and Z, uh, getting them to do what you would like them to do. And so I guess LeBron is uh, practicing not shaming. I feel that's going on as well. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's a great perspective on it. Um, for I didn't really think about like where he was coming from. Um in regards to like not shaming people. Um, but I honestly do commend him on saying something about it um, because you don't want to shame people and you don't want to feel like you're persuasive in any way. 
But being honest with your following is important. And I think that's what he did. I like that. Um, I am seeing the parallel between him and Nicki Minaj, but I'm also seeing it very different (laughs) Um, now that you brought that up, you know, because I was thinking like he should not shame them, but he should encourage people to get it. But I can understand, like, he does have his peers who are advocate, like, saying they're not getting it, would rather not be in the league in order to not get vaccinated. So, yeah, I think it was a great move on his front of coming forward. I just think how it was phrased as him revealing that he was vaccinated made it seem like he was, like, hiding it for some reason and hiding it because of the reason, you know, the same reasons Nicki Minaj was saying what she said, you know, not to get it because to look good for the followers. You know what I mean? Well, so, yeah, we see this happening on the right too with MAGA. So uh, for instance, uh, a lot of the Fox TV personalities have been vaccinated uh, at the same time. They're putting forth a, uh, the uh, the idea that maybe you don't need the vaccination that the ma- mandates are uh, going too far uh, that the Democrats are some kind of demon party uh, for um, for for uh, proposing mandates so they're not vaccinated but they h- kind of hide that and conceal that so this happens all the time um, in fact Donald Trump at a speech mentioned uh, when one of his recent rallies mentioned that he'd been vaccinated and the crowd began to boo. So he immediately backed off and said, well, you know, if you don't want to get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. So I think uh, the, the, the MAGA Republicans are definitely doing this where they're afraid of going too far uh, toward vaccination and they're going to lose their followers. So they got to remain like show that they're sort of uh, in kinship with their followers but at the same time, they're vaccinated. You get what I'm saying? They're not that kinshippy, if you get what I mean. Right. Because we are all responsible for our own selves. <laughs> I think that's kind of wild. Like, the extremes on both ends are, like, them being extreme on both ends, and, and it's still so, like, separated. Like, y'all need, they need to come together and realize that they are one and the same. Um causing a whole bunch of drama around this vaccination. And I think it's, it's interesting, but I didn't know that about the whole Fox news situation of them, like being vaccinated and then talking against the vaccine. I had no idea. That that to me, but that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) This is me talking nationary. They are a biggest bunch of frauds in the world. Mm. And uh, they get the vaccine and then they encourage other people essentially not to get the vaccine or have doubts about the vaccine. In fact, Tucker Carlson, who was the the number one newsman on Fox, was was encouraging Nicki Minaj's uh, cousin's friend to come (laughs) on the show. Yeah, he was like, hey, come on the show. You could come on the show, you know, and talk about your swollen testicles anytime you want. Uh, so he's going to use that guy if he even exists, by the way. He's, mm-hmm. or, and if he does exist, if he's even got the swollen testicles from the vaccine, he would use that guy's story to sort of feed the notion that there's something wrong with the vaccine, even though he has the vaccine. He's been vaccinated. <laughs> Just think about that the hypocrisy there. 
Yes, the hypocrisy of it all. Yeah, so that's why I said to Tucker Carlson, you don't have to go get Nicki Minaj's cousin's friends to look at his testicles. Just go look at your own. See if there's... (laughs) The one person in the world who we have no proof that he even exists and we're going to bring him on the show. (laughs) Yes. Zero credibility, zero anything, but we're going to try and bring him on the show in order to say no to the vaccine absolutely by the way Nicki Minaj's uh, cousin's friend if you want to come on a show come on my show what the hell have you your imaginary cousin's friend or no it was <laughs> cousin's imaginary friend alright Shaneri um, thank you so much and folks uh, I hope you follow her lead and um, uh, make some donations to the reader and get involved uh, helping the reader out it's been 50 great years let's hope it's 50 more years so uh, Shaneri thanks for the good good word and the good job all right thanks ben and thanks listeners like i said chicagorio.com slash 50 is how we're celebrating and you can celebrate with us so join in on the fun and stay tuned on social media on chicago reader on everything very good thank you shaniri shaniri far um marketing maven for the chicago reader company on and uh jacob kaplan and danny pogoshelsky will be with us real soon we're going to take a break when we come back uh, danny and jacob the know-it-alls will be with us so stick around everybody hey live streamers remember you can download previous ben jarofsky shows yes you can download them chicagoreader.com forward slash jarofsky J-O-R-A-V as in Victory S-K-Y or wherever else you download podcasts. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Give us a review. Five stars only. Isn't that right, Ben? That's all we want. <laughs> That's all we want. Five. Don't bring them. <laughs> don't bring the four. Don't bring the three. All right. No, don't bring any. Definitely don't bring a two and definitely don't bring a one. <laughs> don't do any of that. All right. The Ben Jarowski Show is back. Oh, it's like our doorbell. It's like doorbell. Oh, wait. We had someone not trying to jump on, but I guess we lost him. So just one second. Our political know-it-alls will be joining us very shortly. Chicago Reader, 50 years. Ben's been there all 50. Isn't that crazy? Uh, <laughs> not quite all 50. Uh, Jacob Kaplan has joined us. Jacob Kaplan has joined us. I love it when my guests join us. Uh, Danny Pogoshell, because he seems to be having trouble, which is kind of funny, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag with it. Jacob's laughing already. Young Daniel is always sending it. Have you sent me the email link? If you send me the email link, you send him the email link. He doesn't join you. I think Jacob is one of those guys who wants to keep you waiting. You know what I'm saying? Who is that? You know who was like that? Lukoyevich. Remember Bogoyevich when he was governor? Love to keep people waiting. He did. He did. Sometimes hiding in the bathroom. <laughs> Anything. Yeah. Make him wait. All right. I'm going to make him wait a little while. All right. We're waiting for uh, young Daniel, Dan Pogoshowski to join us. But we got Jacob Kaplan here, executive director of the Cook County Party, uh, one of the two know it alls. So it's time to talk a little politics. Um, let's get started uh, with the. Um, I want to start with the Virginia race. No, no, you don't want to hold off for uh, Dan, for the G- Virginia race because Daniel had some great uh, thoughts on that. But so let's start with real local. We'll go with uh, Arlington Heights and the Bears, but probably moving to Arlington Heights. I think they will move to, to Arlington Heights. Jacob, what is your opinion? What is the political fallout on both sides of the Bears leaving the city of Chicago to go to suburban Arlington Heights? It wouldn't happen, by the way, 
the Bears have got a lease with the city of Chicago at Soldier Field, with the Park District at Soldier Field, that I think is for another 10 years or so. So they have to buy their way out of the lease. Then they have to build a stadium in Arlington Heights. So this is not like going to happen tomorrow, uh, but it looks as though it's going to happen probably within the next 10 years. So what's your sense of the political fallout, Jacob, uh, from such a move? Uh, it's hard to say what it's going to be. It's not, you know, there was once upon a time where, you know, and, and the Bears have threatened to leave so many times, you know, again and again over the years. I mean, they were talking about moving to Arlington Heights in the 1970s, right? So I don't know what it is with this love affair with uh, Arlington Heights. I, I don't quite understand it, but I don't know. I mean, it's it's a thing, and cities all across the country deal with this, where sports teams try to gain any sort of concessions they can to build new stadiums, to do that sort of thing. And uh, they try to get, of course, taxpayer dollars to do so. And... I don't know. It, it's hard to say. Is the electorate uh, tired of that? Is it going to be? Is there going to be a lot of blowback if this happens? I don't know. I'm still skeptical. They're actually going to move. Uh, you, you seem to think it's going to happen for sure, but I'm I'm not sure. I mean, Why, I think, which, uh, what's the basis for your skepticism? Because I think they're that, that ultimately the idea that they're going to build a brand new stadium and go into all this debt to do it. I just don't know if that's. Uh, I, I just find I'm just skeptical of it. I mean, it's a huge move and it's a lot of money. So I still think to some degree it could be a bargaining tactic. I know people are saying, well, they're signing a, you know, a, a statement of intent or whatever, but I'm still a bit skeptical. We'll see what happens. Well, let me just say this, that there will be debt and, but it will not be in my humble opinion, if this deal goes through, uh, it will not be incurred by the Chicago Bears to a great degree. As I said earlier in the show, and I'll say over and over again, it will be incurred by the good taxpayers of the city of Arlington Heights, uh, who will probably finance this uh, stadium deal with a TIF. They got TIFs in Arlington Heights. Arlington Heights people. What do they call Arlington Heidians? Is that what you call them? Arlington Heidians? I suppose you would. Uh, <laughs> Arlington <laughs> Heidians are waking up like, oh my God. Yeah. What's this? T-? You know what? I'm going to get a few phone calls. Jacob and Danny's joining us as well. It never fails when suddenly a t- I've been writing about TIFs in the city of Chicago for 5,000 years. Uh, so whenever there's a TIF deal out of suburbs and suburban residents wake up and like, wait a minute, there's this thing called a TIF. They end up like doing a Google search, see about all my gazillion articles I've written about it and call me like, help us. I'm, like, I'm not going out to Arlington Heights to help you with your thing. <laughs> That's your problem. Uh, so I think it'll be, you ask who's going to incur the debt. I think it's going to be the taxpayers of uh, Arlington Heights. And that see, that's where I wonder, Jacob, and we'll bring Dan in uh, after you answer the question with his thoughts on this. You, there's a balance here. So in your humble opinion, as a political observer, do you think there's more to be gained for a politician by moving heaven and earth to keep a team in a city or draw a team to his or her city, even if that means uh, raising taxes? Or do you think they lose more by raising the taxes uh, to bring the team there? Your thoughts, Jacob? I think they may, uh, I think in this day and age, they may lose more, honestly. I just think public opinion is is against spending this amount of public dollars on a private enterprise ultimately i know that it helps with economic development and all that but i still think i think a lot of people are to that i also you know the other thing just going back to are they actually going to move like this would be the first sports team in an american big american city to move from the city to the suburbs since what the 1970s i mean the trend lately has been for teams to move back into the city so it just seems to me it's like is is this really going to 
are they going to draw more people in Arlington Heights? Really? I mean, it's, it is, I don't know. I, I'm still very skeptical of the whole thing. Um, uh, Again, this is something that's been threatened over and over again over the years. I mean, when when our buddy Harold Washington was mayor, they were threatening to leave then, right in the 1980s. I mean, it, this is this is really nothing new. So we'll see. Dan, your thoughts? Well, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but are the Bears not on the hook of being in Soldier Field into the 2030s? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, they're about a, uh, they have a 10 year, I think it's 10 year lease. Don't call me on that. But early 2030s, God, 2030s. That's so bizarre to even saying it. Uh, 2030s. And uh, so they would have to buy out the lease. The Tribune's really all over. They got to give the Tribune credit. They, they've, they got a hold of the lease. They read the lease and they, they like, they, put their calculators on and figured out how much the bears would have to pay. They're very excited about that. Uh, but I got to give the tribute credit. I think they came out with a number of 84 million. See, this is to Jacob's point, Dan, like so much is not known about this. Like we don't know like who literally I'm just surmising and guessing that it'll be the taxpayers of Arlington Heights who pick up the deal. Since I don't believe the bears in a million years, the cheapskates that they are, would ever pay the big bucks it costs to build a stadium. And if you've been a bear fan, you know how cheap the bears are. I've been a bear fan since 1966. And let me tell you something, Dan, they are cheap. In fact, about the only thing Mike Dick and I agree on, Dan Pogoshelsky, is that the bears are cheap. Uh, politically speaking, Mike and I don't agree on anything. But we agree on that part. Uh, so I don't believe in a million years that the Chicago Bears will ever uh, dig into their pockets to build this stadium. Uh, so we don't even know the details of that. We don't know the details of the Soldier Field lease agreement. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we don't know what the mayor of city of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, uh, is going to offer the Bears, if anything, uh, to get them to stay. It's all it's like it. Jacob has a very good point. Like it's like the Bears have just played this card where they have this option agreement or this letter of intent to buy the property uh, and now you know getting headlines on it everybody's reacting responding so jacob's got a good point it could just be a a bluff uh by the chicago Bears. but to the point go ahead dan what, what do you think uh, suffers is the more dangerous option for a politician to pay the big money to keep a team in town or to suffer uh the blow of losing the team's call Uh, I'm going to go with what I think is most dangerous for society. So at a time when we've had decades of austerity in the city, in the state of Illinois, if you're talking about economic development, how about investing in poor people, in the middle class? Uh, That argument hasn't really been made, especially I think it's one of the failures that we all agree with in society in the United States where you'll have people say, oh, no, what happens if we become Europe? We could have free socialized health care. We could have good education no matter what zip code you live in. That's economic development. And for a lot of folks, it's been irrationally demonized. I think that why are we going to continue this trend which we've had about uh, let's give money and dump it to the wealthiest 1% so that uh, it will eventually trickle down, little trickles, right? to to the middle class, to the poor. Uh, We live in a new Gilded Age. I think that this is something that I agree with when people say that. I know it might sound cute, but I think there's a lot of truth to it. Since the pandemic began, we've talked about how uh, we have uh, personalities, right? Uh, Outlandish and garish at times in a celebrity culture of the uber rich, right? Of, you know, people talk about what's Jeff Bezos doing? What is... um, 
Elon Musk saying in the same way that used, people used to talk about J.P. Morgan and Carnegie. And to boot, let's not remember the same anti-union forces and quotes and sentiments that were part of that age as well. And so let's talk about economic development and people. I know that it's not an argument that's often talked about, but if you're going to be giving money to to these folks to move out to Arlington Heights or to keep them in Chicago, why don't we keep that money in the pockets of people? That is a great riff I'm with you 100%. By the way, you have mentioned the Gilded Age before. I've heard you on this. It's a good point. And the reverence that we have for the uh, Elon Musk and the Jeff Bezos of the world uh, is is um, a little disappointing, I must say, uh, to put it mildly. You know, I remember when Jeff Bezos was talking about cooking up a deal with Rahm Emanuel to build a, a bullet train to O'Hare. We we're going we to commit hundreds of millions of dollars made probably billions of dollars to building some train that nobody in the city of Chicago, not nobody, but the vast majority of people in the city of Chicago would never use Dan would have, couldn't afford would, it would be a high price item. And it was all basically, well, you don't understand, but they always said, you don't understand. This is for the business people coming in from, from other countries to O'Hare. I'm like, what do I care about them? Well, I, this is, this is the thing that I actually, uh, do you guys, do you guys hear about this where um, uh, Elon had, explained about why he had been so miffed at Joe Biden. And he said it's because he's in the pockets of unions. At, I'm sorry, at that point, I'm out. You know, you have a, I'm 100% with labor. Um, of course, not every negotiation, right? I mean, labor is there to be the advocate for their side, right? So people try to cherry pick and say, oh, well, look at what the lab- this labor union wanted in this negotiation and just cherry picking it and trying to undermine the whole reason for labor. And we all know that we are one Supreme Court, um, uh, one Supreme Court judgment away from the potential of going right to work nationally, right? Especially with this Supreme Court. So you, when you make statements like that, that's just total bullshit to me. Yeah. Pardon my French, I hope you didn't have to, poor Dennis had to No, he doesn't worry, it's not live radio. <laughs> not live, those days are gone. I got fired, don't you remember? Uh, used to come on, you guys used to come on that show too. Yes, uh, yes. You couldn't, but, um, Dennis would have to push the button in those that's, days. Yeah. You know, this other stuff that, that, that that's cute and whatever and, um, you know, I'm not trying to say there's there's things that you could say about Elon Musk where it's like, wow, he's, you know, been an entrepreneur. I'm not trying to take any way, away any of that. But for me, it's that statement. When you when when he's trying to say that something negative, that Joe Biden is in the pockets of unions, that's that's unacceptable to me. And I think people oftentimes don't call out the anti-union rhetoric that pervades our society. Man, you're on a roll. I agree with everything you just said. Uh, <laughs> I mean, not that I don't agree with you a lot, but you really on a roll. That was a good one. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. At least he would broaden it to an- just unions in general. Je- mostly what I said for the last few years, the rhetoric has been anti-teacher union. Then they'd be like, uh, you know, this, this, <laughs> like we can't have an elected school board uh, in the uh, city of Chicago because it'd be controlled by the teachers union. I'm yeah. like, first of all, what guarantee does the teachers union have of electing so many members that they control the board? You guys are in the political game. You know that the teachers union does not control the city council. They don't control the state legislator. They don't control the state Senate. They don't get to elect everybody they want. Just, you know, what makes just the notion that they would control the like school board, but that's, that was the rhetoric. They would target the teachers union. And now I'll say at least Elon Musk has broadened it uh, to the, I don't 
to all unions in general. All right, let's 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 get a little specific about the future of Illinois politics. A couple issues I'd love to get uh, your thoughts on. I'll start with you, Jacob. Uh, the issue before us right now, uh, legislative remapping. People know what my position is on this. I want to hear Republicans crying like babies uh, because that I would love to see all the Republicans in the state of Illinois put in one district and let them run against each other and do to Republicans in Illinois what Republicans have been doing to Democrats. Democrats in Wisconsin, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Texas, et cetera, and so forth. I never hear any fair map people in the state of Illinois talking about those states. It's like they don't exist. You know, they only talk about Illinois and they get some dumb, naive Democrats to go along with them. My beloved Democrats get so naive, sometimes get played like suckers. Uh, by the so-called fair map reformers. I got that reformers in quotes. So what's the status, Jacob Kaplan, of the legislative redistricting uh, in the state of Illinois? Go ahead. Well, Ben, uh, so we have new maps that were just passed for the state legislature uh, a few weeks ago. Um, They had been passed actually back in May, but they were updated again with the new uh, census data that came out. So the legislative maps for the state house and Senate are done. But that, of course, leaves the congressional map. Uh, that map is going to be done uh, in a few weeks in veto session, more than likely in uh, towards the end of October. Um, so we haven't actually seen a draft map yet. But by all accounts, you know, we lost. So we lost one seat in Congress. So we have to at least get rid of one district. But I do think we're going to draw a map that will allow us to maybe win back one or two more seats from the Republicans. Uh, so I think it's going to be a very favorable map to Democrats. I'm with you. I mean, if this were a perfect world and we all agreed all 50 states, we should do it by commission and be fair, quote unquote, and all that, that'd be fine. I'd be fine with that because then we could have potentially Democratic maps in places like Georgia and North Carolina. Uh, But it's not like that. The Republicans control redistricting in so many states and state legislatures that we have to play hardball. And uh, Illinois is one of the few states where we can actually potentially pick up a seat or two uh, through a remap. And I think we're going to do that just like it looks like it's going to happen in New York state as well. So but this will all take place in the next few weeks. And then obviously a whole other topic is ward redistricting in Chicago, which will be kind of the last piece to get done probably somewhere towards uh, the end of the year. Well, before we get to ward districting, uh, let's uh, talk about the congressional map. This is really important. Um, Right now, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats... blanking on is it seven seats uh they're ahead of the republicans by seven seats uh and the republicans just so everybody knows they're gerrymandering like crazy throughout the country <laughs> i know you won't believe that by reading the editorials of sometimes the tribune talk about how we need uh fair maps but the reality is republicans are gerrymandering like crazy throughout the country so they're looking to pick up the seats through gerrymandering that they need to take back the congress it may come down as Jacob is saying, Dan, it may come down to what the map makers in Illinois and New York do in terms of shoving all like Mary Miller in the same district with uh, Adam Kinzinger and a couple other um, uh, con- uh, Republican congressmen so that they they have to f- run against each other. It may come down to creative map making in the states of uh, uh, Illinois and New York to counter to have a counter effect uh, on the creative map making in Wisconsin uh, and uh, Georgia, et cetera, and so forth. And it could, the, the future of the Congress could be in the balance. Uh, to your point, I would actually want to talk about, I thought it was great when you talked about other states. Let's look at neighboring Indiana. I'm sure you have quite a bit of listeners that are in Indiana. And those poor folks have to deal where every single one 
of their constitutional officers, the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, secretary of state, the treasurer and the auditor um, are all Republicans. The Republicans abolished. They had an institution called the superintendent of public institutions. Their state Senate has 39 Republicans, 11 Democrats. That's how they gerrymander that. There's only 11 senators in the whole state Senate in Indiana, 71 Republicans and 29 Democrats in the state house. Both U.S. senators are Republicans. And with regards to how they gerrymandered the congressional districts, there's seven Republican districts and only two Democratic districts, including uh, Frank Mervan, right? So he, he's the Democrat, uh, one of the two Democrats that you have in the whole state of Indiana. And so please, you know, remember this, right? And of course, Indiana trends Republican, right? Barack Obama did win in 2008, but the proportions that you have there, um, you know, Mike Madigan would be jealous of, of making a map like like what the Republicans did in Indiana. So don't delude yourselves. Remember that this is a dynamic that goes on nationwide. There have been scandals that have come across it. Remember, just a reminder, you guys remember there was a pen drive that a daughter of one of the gentlemen that was involved with trying to gerrymander for Republicans. I, I don't remember which state it was. Do you guys recall the details of what I'm talking about? where uh, the daughter of one of these architects of gerrymandering uh, found came across her deceased father's uh, thumb drive. And in it were all these incriminating documents about, oh, yeah, we're just innocently happening to create maps that are disadvantaged, uh, at a, put d- Democrats at a disadvantage. Nope. Turned out all of it was right there. And so, you know, we would be doing a disservice, especially right now when you have, aside from, you know, gerrymandering, that has a long established tradition, but things that are morally wrong, like when you're talking about disenfranchising people, the United States does have a long history of disenfranchising people of color, but we have been trying to put that behind us. And what's happened in the last decade uh, is definitely been a step backwards. No, this the Republicans have a, a strategy and they're playing it. Uh, and the strategy one is through gerrymandering, so that uh, maximizes the strength of Republican voters and minimizes the strength of Democratic voters. We know how the game is played. I just told the Democrats what to do. Put all the if you put all the Republicans in one district, then you've maximized the Democratic strength. That's how the game is played, and that's why you have in Texas a state that's purple or heading in that direction, Jacob Kaplan, uh, you can pass laws that pretty much abolish abortion because the state through gerrymandering is controlled by the far right. So that's what they do. And the second thing, as Dan said, uh, is to um, enact laws, election laws that are intended to discourage, uh, as I said, just be honest about it, black people from voting because the Republicans know that the more black people vote, uh, the greater the chances are the Democrats will prevail. Yeah. Because the Republicans offer nothing to black people to get them to vote Republican. Dan, you want one to say more something? thing? Yeah, one more thing I want to add in. Let's not forget that you're talking about breaking up the unions. And, you know, when you're just talking about bringing right to work, whether it was Indiana or, or elsewhere, right? It's It's been, oh, bust up the unions. And when you bust up the unions, you bust up the folks that are looking out for the common man. Absolutely. That's why uh, Scott Walker was able to win in uh, Wisconsin uh, and I, I, ultimately Donald Trump. Uh, all right. The uh, the other big race here in the other big map in the state of Illinois uh, is the uh, Supreme Court map. And this one is huge. And this is a, a down ballot thing. Jacob Kaplan, 
we'll spend so much time talking about, let's say, who the mayor of the city of Chicago is in a uh, high-profile race that gets uh, all the attention. Not nearly as much attention for state Supreme Court, even though one could argue it may be the most important uh, electoral race that the voters get to decide. I mean, just think about all the power vested in the Supreme Court. So talk a little about the maps for the Supreme Court. Yeah, so the uh, Supreme Court of Illinois actually had not been redrawn its maps since the uh, since the districts were established in 1963. So there's five districts. One of them is just Cook County, which elects three justices. And then there are four other districts that each elect one justice. And uh, since the Supreme Court was created in uh, with the districts in 1963, it, the map had not been updated. Uh, actually, there there never been a federal court ruling that Supreme Court or judicial districts had to be redrawn every 10 years like everything else. So there's no requirement to redraw them. But I think the state uh, saw, the state legislature saw the fact that, uh, you know, these districts are so out of whack population-wise, number one. And number two, we just had a kind of scary election where, retention election where Justice uh, Kilbride lost. So we lost one of our Democratic justices. And now... As it sits now, we only have a four to three majority on the state Supreme Court. So there's a worry that there actually may be a possibility for Republicans to take control of our Supreme Court. And then you can kiss a lot of our things like, you know, labor rights and other things in the state goodbye. So in response to that, this legislature a few months ago redrew the Supreme Court maps. And now we have two districts in the Chicago suburbs, one of which is kind of Lake County and West and South, and another which includes DuPage County and uh, Will County that are both, they were both won by Biden and they can both uh, potentially be won by a Democrat. I think fa- Democrats would be favored in those districts. So we now have a potential to be, to build a solid majority of Democrats on the state Supreme Court, which personally as a Democrat, I think is a good thing. And this will help safeguard against, uh, you know, what, what, what could happen. Like for instance, if, you know, I mean, we had obviously four years of Governor Rauner, obviously we had a democratic legislature opposing him but if we had had a republican supreme court who knows what he would have been able to get through under executive orders or other crazy things so i don't think we can take anything for granted i'm I'm happy personally that we're going to have a more solidly democratic supreme court after the election uh next year all things uh fingers crossed fingers crossed indeed dan do you share his optimism uh yeah and i actually would like to point out when we've talked about um for for uh for so many uh, people who talk about, hey, let's stick to the original ideas of the Constitution, it seems that there's a lot of folks that are on the uh, other side who like to legislate from the bench with regards to trying to take away worker rights. Uh, you know, there's been lots of investment on that other side to break up the unions, right? Whether it was through Janus and the like. And so this is one reason why. Um, we we're at a disadvantage because we oftentimes don't think about the courts in a political manner the way that our opponents do and that puts us at a disadvantage and i i would like us to re-examine that uh yeah that that last point you made was a good one dan I, the re- Republicans are just more strategic, I think, when it comes to the courts than Democrats. Uh, and I'm not, I don't know why that is. I've thought about this. Like, what, maybe I'm just, um, when I watch the Democrats and Republicans uh, play the game of politics, it's like watching the Bears play the Packers. And 
as much as I hate the Packers and I'm a Bear fan, it's like the Packers are always like three steps ahead of the Bears. And I'm going, Arlington Heights, you ought to think about this, by the way, before you give them money. I'm just saying this. So it's like the Bears haven't figured out, you know, how to maximize the advantages. I don't know, of re- receivers going in motion or something. They haven't figured out, like they haven't upgraded their playbook in like 50 years. You know what I'm saying? So the, no matter who the quarterback is, they run the same plays, even though the quarterbacks are different type of athletes. So one one is playing. Meanwhile, the Packers are sophisticated. Always got a new approach. It's like the Packers are smart and the Bears are not. It's, and when I... I draw that analogy over to Republicans and Democrats. Everybody made fun of Madigan. They were harsh on him and criticized him, but he understood how the game was played. And that's why the Republicans demonized him, Dan. That's why they demonized him, Jacob. They wanted him out because they thought they would have an advantage if you took away the tactician, the one tactician the Democrats had. But in general, it just seems like Democrats. I'm, I'm watching this unfold in Washington. It just doesn't seem like Democrats have a strategy. They, it's like the de- Republicans are much more organized, much more disciplined, much more focused. And so to your point, they understand the strategic importance of the Supreme Court, and they're not going to let the Democrats prevail there. And they won. Think about it, Dan. And uh, they all those rulings follow. So I, I don't know. What you, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, we'll go with you, Dan, and then you to Jacob. Do you think the Republicans are just smarter than the Democrats? Or do you think I'm overplaying this? Go ahead, Dan. I just think that we need to change that culture, that, sometime, that ethos that sometimes comes out when folks like, I'm not a member, that, uh, that well-worn quote, I'm not the member of any organized party. I'm a member of the Democratic Party. Right. Uh, who was it that said it? You guys remember? Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, Will Rogers. Will Rogers. That's it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank who's you. the political know it all here? Touche, touche, touche. So there there is some of that, but that's a cultural change. And it's not as if Democrats haven't always been organized, right? But it, it's a weakness which manifests itself from time to time, right? And let's be honest, there are times where the Republicans are, are lax on discipline. We've taken advantage of it um, from uh, from time to time, especially with some of the radical Tea Party folks who just, you know, were a circular firing squad as well. But to your point, we Democrats have had a traditional weakness of that, right? We've We've gone against each other. Let's go back to your point about the teachers union, right? You know, a strategy that the Republicans had going back to Nixon was to try to apply away the trades from the other unions, right? And that 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 came close uh, in certain certain times uh, because of Nixon's strategy, right? Uh, because of the radical policies of the of the Republicans. That's no no longer the case. Sure, there are some folks that lean more conservatively, but, uh, you know, when you have people like, uh, former president George W. Bush, right. Who gloated that he won't take any dirty union money. Right. It certainly makes it hard for them to, um, for folks that are, uh, pride themselves in being friends of organized labor to stand with people like that. Uh, so I think that we need to get, you know, come together, right. It's, you know, if we don't, 
alone we will die. And it's it's been how people have you know taken us apart. Well, I just got before I turn it over, Jay. I just have to say, you raise the teachers' union. It's a great point. It illustrates what I was what I was talking about. Democrats don't think strategically. So there was a phase in the uh, about ten years ago where many of the leading Democrats, Barack Obama, Rahm Emanuel, uh, and many state legislators and the state reps. Uh, state senators, state reps joined the Republican crusade against te- organized teachers, the, or- the teachers union. So the teachers union should be their greatest ally. They're the ones whose voters are going to vote Democratic. And what were my Democratic leaders doing? They were promoting non-union charter schools. They were talking about how there's too much power in the teachers union. So instead of helping your allies, you think when you go into elections, Dan and Jacob, you know, you got to turn to those unions uh, at some point in these heated elections because they're going to go get out votes. Instead of uh, helping your allies, the people help you, they cut them off at the knees. And it's that's a perfect example, Dan, of what I'm saying. Democrats don't think strategically. They I don't know what they, they, they think about their next fundraiser is what they think about. Jacob, your thoughts. Uh, I, I tend to agree with that. I, I mean, I'll just say, I think one of the reasons why it's taken, why we're in the situation we are now is that Democrats have gotten lax. You know, there's this Democrats, you know, kind of subscribe to this liberal principle that, uh, you know, as long as we have the, uh, the best ideas and all that, our ideas will win out and everyone will be, and people vote for us. And I think one of the things we've failed to realize, and maybe we're finally realizing it now, is that it just doesn't work like that. And especially with the structural system that we're in now, where we have a Senate that's you know totally skewed against Democrats because so many Democrats have sorted themselves to only live in big cities and a few states. So we have an electoral college and a U.S. Senate that are totally skewed against Democrats, and we can barely win now, even though we have a majority of the population, arguably. Uh, I think it's just taken a long time for us to realize what a disadvantage that puts us at. Same thing when you talk about state legislators and redistricting. Same thing when you talk about the courts. I think the courts for a long time, you know, there's, of course, Republicans love to attack liberal justices and, and, and liberal you know, legal scholars. But it was true for a long time, I think, that liberal scholar, that legal scholars were tended to be more liberal, judges tended to be more liberal than not. So how Republicans started responding to that starting in the 1970s is they were really started going to law schools and, and tracking down new uh, attorneys and, and kind of, you know, building a bench of people to appoint to federal courts that would turn out to be conservative. And I think Democrats didn't realize kind of until it's too late that this was going on and that uh, Republicans are reshaping a whole generation of the judiciary. So I just think hopefully this is changing now. I hope it's not too late. But for the longest time, Democrats are just like, you know, as long as we have the best ideas, people will vote for us. And that's all that matters. Of course, that's not true. (laughs) That is so true. That is so true that that is not true. (laughs) Nobody knows about your good ideas, Democrats. Uh, all right. Uh, speaking and of Democrats, go ahead, Dan. To, to distill what you guys just said, it all comes down to four words. Voting is not enough. That is four words. Uh, I did the counting. Did you see that? Voting is not enough. Uh, no, but it starts with voting. Pick up a clipboard. Don't boo. Vote. Yeah. <laughs> Barack Obama said yeah. that. 
<laughs> yeah, pick up the clipboard. Don't move out. Uh, unless you're booing him. Unless you're picking up the clipboard against the Obama center. Don't pick up the clipboard yeah. then. <laughs> Forget that clipboard. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, Jacob, I want to follow up. And uh, I, I told you I was going to ask you about this. Uh, we've not really had a good discussion this week. Uh, we'll probably do it next week uh, about what's happening, playing out in Washington. Which poor Joe Biden. I mean, I, you talk about having to play a complicated game of political chess. He's got so many people. He's got the debt ceiling issue. He's got the uh, the issue, the infrastructure bill. He's got Bernie Sanders and my beloved uh, proposal to redo government and really help people out. Use the take this moment in time. Uh, to do things like uh, you know, childcare and, and uh, getting money directly in the hands of poorer people, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and I don't know if he can get anything thing through uh, Congress because the Democrats, right now it's 50-50 in the Senate, and the Democrats aren't completely unified. The Republicans are unified, Jacob. That's my point. I don't see any Republican breaking from Mitch McConnell, not one. But the Democrats... You know, uh, uh, Kirsten Cinema in Arizona and Joe Manchin in West Virginia, they're freely they're freelancing and nobody even knows what they want. So what like Kirsten, it's not even clear what Kirsten Cinema even wants if she wants anything. So, Jacob, your sense of what Joe Biden can do, politically speaking, to get any of this legislator legislation through. Go ahead. Well, first of all, Ben, I'm just upset because uh, the president was supposed to be in town in Chicago yesterday, and my boss, Tony Preckwinkle, was supposed to be uh, meeting with him. So, but due to this mess in Washington, uh, <laughs> he couldn't couldn't leave town. So I'm just uh, another another reason to be frustrated and everything. But no, I mean it's look. One thing with the situation is, unlike what was happening in 2009 with the. Uh, you know, Obamacare, the health care bill, there's not some huge groundswell of Republican opposition to what the Democrats want to do. Sure, the Democrat, I mean, the Republicans in Congress are against it, but normal voters are not mad about the infrastructure bill or the $3.5 trillion spending, social spending bill. You're not hearing a huge outcry about it because those things are popular. They're widely popular. Actually, if you pull them without partisan labels, they're popular with both parties. So instead, we have a situation where because of the structural situation the system finds itself in, you have Democrats literally with no votes to spare in the U.S. Senate because we won those two seats in Georgia. We now are at the you know beck and call of Kristen Cinema and Joe Manchin what they want. And like you said, I guess Manchin now is saying that he told uh, he told uh, Schumer a few months ago that he didn't want it to be over 1.5 trillion, the spending bill. Okay. At least there's a number, you know, maybe that can be negotiated with, but we have no idea what cinema wants. I don't understand what her tactics are at all. Apparently she's at the white house right now as we speak, but I don't think anybody has any idea what she wants. It sounds like she just loves being in the limelight and being the person holding up this entire thing. So while I'm mad at both of them, I'm certainly mad the most at cinema because she won in a state that could have elected a much more reasonable, normal quote-unquote democrat and said she's the one holding everything up but i don't know what the answer is i certainly hope the entire deal doesn't get torpedoed because i think if the democrats don't do anything we're going to have very little to point to for the 2022 midterms and i don't see it being a very good election for us if we don't get these things passed somehow in some form yeah uh yeah i, I agree um i agree with what jake says because i think it's very important 
that we get the infrastructure bill through. Um, the anti-COVID bill that um, Joe Biden was able to shepherd through was epic. It was amazing. You had where even David Brooks, right? Someone that we we don't agree with often, right? But I thought that his, his um, when he wrote about how epic, and I, I would use that word epic, that bill was with regards to making fundamental changes to the way that we treat our own citizens was was really worthy of that label. However, my fear is that um, when you talk about balancing all of those things, I thought of the illusion of talking about balancing a tray of water, right? And that's in essence what governing is, right? Governing is balancing a tray of water, balancing those Kirsten Cinemas and mansions and everyone else who's tugging at policy that they want to see it this way or that way. As you heard that, heard that, uh, that whole bunch of cats that we call legislators, right? The senators and and everyone else. And Joe Biden, by virtue of the fact that he's been in this, he was in the Senate in his 30s, right? Ha, has a lot of experience with that. My worry is that for a long time, we had an advantage, which was the Republicans were looking to land a punch on Joe Biden, and the guy was Teflon. He really was. He was immunized. Um, so for example, I think that in the first debate, if it hadn't been Joe Biden against Donald Trump, if let's say it had been um, Pete Buttigieg, the first time he would have misspoke, the media would have been all on him. Oh my God, this guy's ridiculous. When it's Joe Biden, the guy's had a lot of gaps in his past, right? It's like, oh, Joe said something. It was the advantage that Donald Trump had. When the guy says stuff that's just, you know, Donald Trump says stuff that's crazy, it doesn't matter, it's, he's crazy. You're not, you're not breaking news. Yeah. So <laughs> typically foreign policy has very little to do with American politics. Yeah. But my fear is that Afghanistan and the fact that he decided to resolve that now, right? It's, there's a, there's a debate with arguments on both sides of whether we should have pulled out of Afghanistan, whether we should not have. My argument is with the timing because there was that was always gonna be a mess. And as you're trying to balance the tray, the fact that decided to do it, hey, let's do this before September 11th, you know, before the anniversary, we're gonna do this really quickly and it'll be great. My feeling is that we could have waited on that, right? Now, people will, will, will argue on that, but my feeling is that I really wish that that had been pushed later. I understand that Donald Trump had boxed this in partially, but I think that we could have waited. That's that's just that's just my my two cents because as we're trying to get through this, it's going to make it a lot more difficult. And especially for me, I want to make sure that we keep that majority in the Senate. So go ahead, Jacob. I can see. I, uh, <laughs> I can just respond. I, I yeah. well, I agree that the uh, Afghanistan situation obviously was botched. I don't think voters are going to vote based on foreign policy. I don't think that's going to be the referendum that torpedoes Democrats in 2022. I mean, we're talking about over a year from now until the November 22 uh, midterm. I don't think Afghanistan, unless something else happens there, is going to be on anybody's mind. But I am worried about the fact that we're going to have no legislative accomplishments to point to besides the COVID relief bill, which was huge and certainly helped a ton. But none of that was transformative legislation. None of that was something you could point to and say, here's a road or a bridge or a, uh, you know, some sort of uh, 
you know, social program that we, we implemented. So that's going to be forgotten as well. And if we have nothing to point to, because I think it's like we, we get it done now or nothing's going to happen. I'm very worried about Democrats uh, next yeah. year. I'm with yeah, you on that if, one. If we don't, I, uh, we don't get in, if we don't get, uh, you know, substantial changes, uh, things that we've, we've talked about for a long time, right? Whether it's with regards to Medicare or um, some of these other ways to try to assist common common folks right now, uh, I agree with Jacob, it's, it's gone. Yeah, uh, and I, I'll come back to it one last time. It'll come down to the gerrymandering, Jacob. Uh, it won't matter if the Democrats uh, have a great... Uh, list of accomplishments if they so effectively gerrymandered the states to at least counterbalance the Republican gerrymandering. You know, if it was legit, Jacob, just think about, as you said, if it was legit, if we had districts drawn by a commission or by a computer straight up, there would be, I think there would be a lot less rancor. I think there would be Republicans voting as you pointed out, the the desires of their constituents. So for an infrastructure bill, Republicans would be joined. Instead of just saying no on infrastructure, you know, and trying to paint it off like it's this far left uh, communist scheme. Instead of doing that, they would be negotiating with the Democrats legitimately. But there are no Republicans in that room, Jacob, because they're protected by gerrymandering. So I think ultimately it comes down to Who's drawing the maps and can the Democrats successfully draw enough maps to counterbalance the Republicans? I actually believe that's what the uh, here's that's the, go ahead. Here's something uh, that's oftentimes not brought up. So in the history of our country, up until uh, 1929, up until the 1920s, we had a tradition where after every census, we would add on congressional districts which was actually stopped for racist reasons in the 1920s as the cities, which, you know, had Democrat filled with Democrats that were oftentimes immigrants that were not looked upon very well by uh, the wasp powers that be right. Folks that came out of Eastern and Central Europe and Eastern, Central and Southern Europe. And so at that time, we stopped that 1929. We stopped adding on uh members of Congress. We said, hey, we're not gonna add on. But prior to that, after every census, we did that. And that's resulted in what are called lost votes because the more districts that you have, the harder it is for Republicans, in this case, to gerrymander. And that fact has allowed Republicans so that, for example, I believe it was 2014, where we the Democrats lost in a landslide. But if you actually had the number of votes that were cast, if it were a parliamentary system, uh, the Democrats would have been in power. And so um, this is a reason why I'd like to point out, for example, you know, my parents are, are immigrants from Poland. Poland has 475 members of parliament in a country that doesn't even have 40 million people. The United States actually per capita has one of the least representative, if you take it in terms of how many people are in a congressional district. Ben, now, now it's time for this political know-it-all. <laughs> how, on average, approximately, how many people does a U.S. congressman in the state of Illinois represent? Uh, hold on, they do the, the, the uh, 300,000. Oh, my friend, if it was 300,000, I would be out of my gourd happy. Because if that were the case, we'd have uh, twice the congressional, at least twice the congressional delegation. No, it's almost three quarters of a million people. Uh, and so here's a question. How can you 
really represent anyone yeah. when you have three quarters of a million people that you're supposed to represent uh, aside from being like top down like this is a, a partisan interest right let, let, let's take the, the fifth district for example right uh the fifth congressional district mm-hmm. you have where you have areas that are that are blue collar you have areas that are along the uh, the political geographies you have the 43rd ward you have the 41st ward and then you have areas that, that are, you know, in, out in the suburbs, which are some of them blue collar, some of them really, really rich. It's very hard to represent all of these people's interests aside from a partisan label. And, you know, bad systems destroy good people. We should have congressional districts have 300,000 people. I don't know if you're familiar with this. The, uh, when uh, the founding fathers were arguing, you had where George Washington was irate that congressional districts were going to be 40,000 people. He was like, they should be 30,000 because there's no way you can actually get to know 40,000 people and represent their interests. And so I'm not saying that that's doable, but if you look at how many people we had, so there's about 105 million people that we had in 1910 at a population uh, at, the, at the time. And so that would mean that the congressional districts roughly be what like a, a state Senate district is in Illinois. And so that is something that we can look at. It's constitutional. So you wouldn't need a constitutional amendment. It would help us with the oligarchization of politics that we've seen in the state of Illinois and other places. So that's something that I wish that, you know, we do have power, you know, All right, Dan, uh, I got to tell you this, Put it I'm with you. Approach. I'm with you. And I'm, I'm going to say this and then get Jacob's response. We're in a total tangent here, but I love where you went with this, <laughs> but you are so swimming against the tide. And he's a good friend of the show. I love him dearly. I voted for, I think every time I've seen his name on a ballot, I punched it. But Pat Quinn, this is before you guys were even born. Uh, in 1981, I want to say it was. Yeah. Uh, got the, a voter, statewide voter uh, initiative passed that cut the number of state legislative seats. Uh, in, in, and so the, the attitude was too many state reps. Uh, we're wasting too much money in these politicians here in Chicago. It's such a populist idea to cut the number of city council members from 50 to 25, et cetera. I'm against it, by the way. I believe uh, I like the fact that you know who your alderman is. I'm with you 100 percent. It's ridiculous that the fifth congressional district is as wide as it the as wide as it is and encompasses so many uh, different communities. Uh, and we, Mike Quigley is the congressman. Most people don't even know who he is. There's a greater chance they know who their alderman is and their congressman. But you're swimming against the tide, and I get Jacob's thought on this. Increasing the number. Oh my good! I'm just before I go there. The school board. Our good friend Rob Martwick. And Delia Ramirez, who got that school board bill passed, elected school board. God bless them both. Uh, took a lot of heat because too many districts, Rob. Too many districts. So it seems like your your ideas, as much sense as it makes, uh, would be rejected by voters in Illinois and Chicago. Jacob Kaplan, your thoughts? I think that's true. I think there's naturally this uh, opinion among the general voting public that uh, those politicians, we don't need more of them. So... It's not popular when you poll it in general. People tend to like the idea of cutting and streamlining governments and the number of officials. I mean, but I totally agree with you. I think the more the better because officials can be more in touch with their constituents and less bought off by special interests. But 
how in the world in this polarized world are we going to add more members of Congress? I believe that would have to be a bill that passes both chambers and good luck having that pass the Senate and the filibuster and all that. So <laughs> I love it, but I think it's wishful thinking right now. Well, that's that gets back to the, the same point uh, that we're making about the Democrats. Don't think strategically why they're still clinging to the filibuster uh, is exhibit a Jacob Kaplan of how the reason why Republicans defeat Democrats all the time, the filibusters, no reason to stick to the filibuster. You could make the DC a separate state right now, district of Columbia, a separate state, pick up those electoral college, get two more Senate uh, senators right now, but they got the filibuster and Biden if you recall, he ran on the filibuster when he was running. He was like afraid to be against the filibuster. Uh, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin say they're for the filibuster. So you just hit it on the head when you said, as long as we have that filibuster. And I'm like, it's like the Packers versus the Bears. It's the, the, the Democrats playing uh, for the... Uh, with the filibuster, with the filibuster, are like the pack. The Bears playing the Packers, and all they're going to do is run the ball up the middle. That's all they're going to do. All right, uh, let's close with a little discussion of the state of Virginia, and uh, they have a very uh, heated. A um, they have an election, I think, in a month. Uh, it's not even a midterm. Uh, the Republican far right Glenn uh, Yonkin versus Terry McAuliffe, uh, an old friend of the Clintons, and. Um, Dan, this is, uh, we'll start with you and then go to Jacob. Uh, this one, uh, the polls say, is, is tightening. Uh, and I'm, I was telling Jacob this before the show. I'm starting to wonder, is this uh, part of the Democratic playbook, if there is such a playbook, uh, to try to scare their voters into sh- coming out with um, reports emerging in the weeks before the election that Democratic voters aren't fired up, Republican voters are fired up. It could be an upset lookout. Uh-oh. Uh, we, I saw this played in California. And then when the election was over, uh, what was what did, what did the recall? I think 65 to 66% of the vote was against recalling uh, Newsom, Governor Newsom. So uh, what's your thoughts about Virginia and the notion of Democratic voters not being as excited as their Republican counterpart? I'll go back to four words. California is not Virginia. You know, um, <laughs> that sounds you know, good. Republican, what does it mean? <laughs> the Republican Party. No, the Republican Party is um, there was a headline. I don't know if this is true. Uh, that was some time ago that said that independents outnumbered Republicans in California. Uh, you know, in California, you've had where the Republican Party is basically imploded it's it's been basically pushed to the fringe now california republicans are immensely influential in in national conversation breitbart came out of there um and a lot of the radicals that came out of california i think even wasn't it stephen miller was raised in california if i remember correctly and so those folks have been extremely influential nationally for the republican party but those radical politics have, you know, since the days of Pete Wilson, alienated the majority of Californians. That's not the case in Virginia. Virginia is, uh, it's a purplish state. It's a lot, it's been trending a lot more blue, but you can't confuse the two. California is not Virginia. Virginia is not California. So Jacob, are you concerned about the situation in Virginia? 
I'm a little concerned. I disagree with Dan. I wouldn't call purple. I would call Virginia a solidly blue state now. I don't think at least presidential elections, we it's, we have anything to worry about there in the near future. Uh, you know, Northern Virginia around D.C. has become so diverse and so democratic that it pretty much outweighs everywhere else in the state. And of course, there are some other democratic areas of the state as well. Uh, the only worry in this governor's race is turnout. If Democrats turn out in enough numbers, we'll be fine. I think that's, but I, I think the certainly the Democrats and activists that I know in Virginia are well aware of that, and they're working hard on that that uh, in that situation. So I'm not terribly worried. I know the polling shows it a bit close, but I still think Terry McAuliffe is is uh, is is in very good shape to win the race in Virginia in a month from now. So do you think this is, becomes part of Democratic strategy? Because I had this conversation with Kelly Cassidy. She was on the show a couple of weeks ago. We were laughing at this. It's like this notion that Democrats are so fatigued all the time and so tired of Demo- of the elections. Oh, I'm exhausted. I, the fatigue is set in. I've never once heard a Republican said I'm fatigued. Republicans never get fatigued, man. They keep coming. So do you think this is part of a strategy that the Democrats are employed to fire up their base by saying we're tired? We got to come on out. We're not coming out enough. What's your thoughts, Jacob? Sure. And I think that it, it, it does work. I mean, look at California again, the polling, some of the polling showed it pretty darn close and Newsom in trouble. And, you know, <laughs> he, he won that recall with uh, a landslide. So I think I, I'm hopeful that uh, Democrats are starting to realize that they have to turn out in large numbers in every election. And anytime I think you still have uh, Trump and his lackeys out there and the Republican Party this nuts, I think that helps drive turnout. So even in odd midterm elections or, or off year elections like the Virginia governor's race, I think we'll get enough Democrats out there to uh, to win. Let's right. not forget what complacency in terms of the Democratic side leads to where we saw the collapse of the blue wall in 2016. Yeah. So I'm okay with erring on the side of, hey, things might not be so rosy because when you just kind of get lax, you stay home, bad things happen. All right. Uh, all right. I'm with you on that one. All right. If it motivates the voters, play the card and um so be it all right we've run out of time and we didn't I thought get we were to gonna, i thought we were gonna we're gonna we're gonna try to rip on uh our californian slash uh uh illinoisan who's trying to uh be the uber tech hipster Maybe next time i'm sure we got a lot of time for that <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say uh next time i was you took the words right out of my mouth i was gonna have some fun uh with the political know-it-alls talk about the republican candidates uh, for governor uh you guys should know this and just enjoy it Dennis and I have a field day every Friday. We do uh, what? Oh, what a week! And we just we play the clips of Jesse Sullivan. That's the uh, the hipster uh, who's from the heartland, even though he built his business empire in California. Let him let him figure that one out. Uh, and this will give you guys time to study up on it. I feel like I'm the only left wing pod, uh, podcaster who actually is following the Republican gubernatorial. Uh, campaign. It's interesting. I'll just, I got to tell you this, Jacob, four years ago, it was the other way around. It was all the action was on the uh, Democratic side. Who was going to be the candidate to face off Rauner? Now, your guy, Bob Diver, was uh, was all over here, you know? <laughs> Jacob and I, I got to see Bob Diver recently. Yeah. Yeah, I got to thank uh, Jacob Kaplan. He was the one who told me about Bob Diver, the downstate Democrat. I remember it, you came on a show. We were, there would have been a debate before the uh, Democratic, uh, the committeeman of um, Cook County, and you said, Ben, Diver's a good guy. You got to look into Bob Diver. You told me it was Jacob Kaplan who told me about it. He's a good, he's a real Democrat. 
and unfortunately, he only got like one and a half percent of the vote. But uh, a good new deal Democrat from downstate Illinois. We need more of them. All right, Jacob. Well, how, about, uh, how about our friend? Uh, we're talking about gubernatorial candidates. Mr. Marshall with the three state solution. <laughs> Some comic relief. We yeah, had him on the booth. show. He the had him <laughs> entering Illinois. <laughs> he had his map. Took it seriously. I, and it was funny because he goes, "We can redo the map." We don't. I liked it. He was flexible. Uh, all right, very much, uh, Danny Pokoshelsky, uh, Jacob Kaplan. Thank you so much. The political know-it-alls. We got to bring you back a little sooner than we did last time. Maybe next time we'll dedicate ourselves to. Uh, analyzing the uh, Republican candidates. I could put Dan on the spot here, Jacob. Should I do it and make him see if he can name all four? You think so? All right. All right. We, Jacob says, yeah, do it. All right, Dan, can you name the four announced uh, Republican candidates for governor right now running? Go ahead. Jesse Sullivan, Rabin, Darren Bailey, and then who is the other one? <laughs> I got two out of four. You got three, and you actually mispronounced one guy's name, uh, which don't, don't worry about it. I, admit, I think he calls him Dennis. Does he call himself Raybine? I think it's Rabine or Raybine. <laughs> and his first name is Gary. And he made a, his fortune with parking lots. See, Republicans, I know more about your candidates than you do. And you forgot. You get to pass the popcorn. And just kind of like watch it because <laughs> it's a lot of crazy town. It really the guy is. You fought, the guy you forgot is yeah. the one uh, who has a distant connection to the Three Stooges. Uh, and you guys That's are too fun. young to remember. Well, there were Three Stooges. There was one named no, Shamp. There's just, there's just one that has a distant connection. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, That's I'm, a good I'm, line, I'm Danny. <laughs> uh, Paul Shemp, right, Dennis? Oh, Shrimp. Shrimp. Yeah, yeah. Shrimp, yeah. Shemp. Yeah, we, yeah. Yes, we had the Larry Curly, Mo, and uh, and Shemp. There was Shemp. He was he, What was his position in the Ronner administration? I, I do not know. Wow, you nailed me on that one. Yeah. I think of him as this former state senator. I didn't know he had a position in the Ronner. I got to do a little more deep dive on this guy. Uh, nobody wants to even talk about Ronner, but it's like he doesn't exist. Jesse Sullivan goes out He's of his way. Yeah, he's just, he's in Florida. He's willing to pay uh, lots of money to Ron DeSantis if he's willing to help, help come up with um, help him cut in line for vaccines. Yeah, isn't that interesting? He's cutting in line for a vaccine while the Republican Party is uh, sort of discouraging uh, people from getting the vaccine. All right, do uh, as I say, not as I do. <laughs> Absolutely, Dan Pogoshelsky, Jacob Kaplan. Thank you very much. Also, want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of all in Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. Uh, and as Jacob and Dan will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Doctor D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.
can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.